Amen. Thank you so much for that, worship team. And thank you so much, New Community, for welcoming me and some of our folks from Garden City this morning as fellow Covenant churches who meet on the northwest side. It's sweet to worship and fellowship together today. So thank you, mi hermana, Armida Balmonte-Stevens, for the invitation to speak into this series. She must know, because we are both PKs, that as a church plant kid and as a church planter now, we know a lot about transition and change. Um, thanks also, Dr. Michael Emerson. We will be praying for you. I hope that you will see this and be assured by the church's prayers. I'm so thankful for your scholarship and voice, which I was just listening to this past Wednesday. Um, speaking of voice, it's such a blessing to be led by Brother Carlton again. Before the pandemic, I was telling him we were sitting at a wedding of a friend, Laura Mariello, who's a, a good friend of my wife's, and I remember when a song came on during the reception, Carlton and some others at the table started singing, and I just, I, I was led to repentance or something, and <laughs> we, I feel like with, with him singing, he could sing announcements, and I would be coming forward to the altar. <laughs> Thank you, church and staff, for accommodating our church, and um, Emily and Constance and Ruth as well, Ruth, for being a gracious conversation partner and colleague also. So that you know a little bit about me and where I'm coming from this morning, let me share a little bit about why it's special for me to preach here today. Newcom was planted the year before I started in ministry, and I was at DePaul University during those years. Just down the street from DePaul is a place called Inner City Impact on Fullerton, where Newcom was meeting at the time. So naturally, many of our students and alums found their way to new community during the 2000s. Yes, that's how far back we go. And I've had several friends serve in leadership or even on the staff here over the years, which is why I've visited here so often. And I've heard Pastor Peter and Carlton um, leading so many times, and I've received so much from both of them and from Pastor Peter's preaching when I was younger. We're not close, but he was always good to me. And I still remember receiving communion from him right up here when we worshiped here on Good Friday 2018 with you all, because as a church plant, we didn't and we don't have a building that we could use on Friday nights. And so he welcomed us in and served me and my wife up front, and as you know, he and I share a mentor and friend in Dr. Peter Cha. So of course, I owe Newcom big time, but most of all, I owe Newcom because my wife Lynn was baptized here and became a small group leader while attending here for six years. So I'm sure it's really weird for her to see me up here right now. <laughs> and after we got engaged in 2012, I told Pastor Peter that this church blessed me so much, I had to marry someone from here. <laughs> so, thank you, Newcom. I'm not sure my preaching here one time means that we're even, but I share all this so you know that many people are praying for you. Many people feel tied to this church in different ways. Several people from Garden City have been through Newcom in seasons. 
And we will continue to pray for you with all these things that are going on. And we're excited for you that you've welcomed the transition pastor also. So with that said, let us quiet our hearts. And even now as you sit, I ask you to listen as I read these words from Scripture in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Church, let me encourage you with a simple and life-giving truth this morning. We have a shepherd. We have a shepherd. Tell your neighbor that good news real quick. We have a shepherd. Good. Even though transitions, especially the ones we wouldn't choose or expect or even want, may feel us leaving disappointed, disoriented, alone, abandoned, we have a shepherd. Okay, let me give a caveat for all you very smart people. Yes, we need human shepherds who care for and who guide us. One pastor who shepherds me, Reverend Danny Martinez, will speak here next Sunday. So yes, and yes, we also shepherd one another in community because it's through others that God most often cares for us. But church, there are times, especially in seasons of change, where we need to learn and relearn what David is teaching us here, that the Lord, first and foremost, ultimately and uniquely, is our shepherd. And because we have a shepherd, we can feel his comfort and find courage and follow Christ together. So first, as we look at verses 1 to 3, the Lord is our shepherd whose comfort we feel. We feel. Notice the way that the psalmist describes his experience of the Lord's shepherdly care here in these verses. It is the Lord who shepherds him in the same way that David himself once shepherded his sheep, knowing that the well-being of each lamb affects the whole family. It is the Lord who acts for David's good and also for ours, and it's the Lord who makes us lie down in green pastures, leading us beside still waters, restoring our souls. The Lord leads us in paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. See, our shepherd isn't just some random person who took an online class in shepherding. No. My shepherd, David says, is 
the Lord. And what the Lord does, David receives, and so do we. Because the Lord is our shepherd, we lack nothing and instead receive plenty. And as we learn from David's experience, we're able to receive our shepherd's comfort even in our bodies. In other words, the Lord's shepherding is comfort that we can feel. Let me just show you three examples of this here in these verses. In verse 1, you can put the verses back up, please. God provides, God provides supplying of food, grass, and drink, water, for his very hungry and thirsty, weary sheep. Folks, if we woke up this morning and had breakfast in a space that we call our own, and we have enough money to pay the bills, that's because the, the Lord provides for us. I hope you could feel that. Some of you still need to feel some coffee this morning, I think. But many of us know the feeling of financial stress or even poverty. That, you can feel that. And when that feeling lifts, it's because the Lord comforts and provides. In verse 2, the Lord enables relaxation and rest. Tell your neighbor real quick, rest. Yeah, don't sleep right now, though. To make lie down here means to stretch out or to lay down in the same way that a nurse or a caregiver or a physical therapist might gently help a loved one to lay down and be comfortable. And in this way, our shepherd is that non-anxious presence who we so desperately need in the midst of constant anxiety-provoking change. Where in your body does your stress go? For me, whenever that specific person or that specific situation comes up, I feel it right here in my shoulders. I got to the point in the last couple of years where my shoulders would be so tense, I would have to remind myself to relax them. David is saying that with God, we can relax. We can let down our defenses with God. And sometimes we make church so busy, so productivity-focused and institutional that we miss this. Our shepherd is inviting us to slow down, even when it might not seem productive, to lay down on the green and to rest. Because he's safe, we are safe with him. In verse 3, God restores. The word here for soul is, is nefesh. It's also a word that's translated at times life or self or person. And so literally we could say he renews my strength or he brings back my life and my breath. You know, we don't always see it, but when we're going through uh, seasons of uncertainty, especially if we're the planning type, I'm very much a planner. I got to have a plan for everything. But we can rack our brains and end up so exhausted worrying about the future with all the unknowns. And in those times, God's restoration is just one breath away. Cole Arthur Riley says this, and you can put this on the screen. Breath prayer is an ancient practice that, co that connects short, memorable phrases with deep, 
breathing. I found this practice to be restorative as it grounds me in my body and reintegrates my flesh, mind, and soul daily. Many of us follow her on social media, Black Liturgies. She created that, and it has blessed so many people that there are so many imitators, and that's not bad. But David felt God's comfort in these ways, and he's inviting us here into that experience. And here's some good news. These things, God loves to give these things to those who would receive his shepherding. Interestingly, verses 2 and 3, we can keep those up there. Um, The phrase, he leads me, is repeated. And that shows us that God's comfort for his beloved people with provision and rest and restoration is so that we might follow where he leads us. So that we might move forward in the way he desires, at his pace, as his people who bear his name. The shepherd restores us for a reason, comforts us for his cause. In the last few years, one of my most frequent prayers has become simply this, Lord, lead me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. And there are people who depend on my leadership. Lord, you got to lead me. If you don't lead me today, I got nothing. Lead me, Lord. Interestingly, David wrote Psalm 23 while he was king. As a mature adult in the midst of real complex struggles, and he wrote this as a leader with responsibility for a lot of people and stuff. Many of us know that feeling, especially if we grew up poor. Or if we immigrated here and have people under our care, um, there's no slide for this, but you know that movie Encanto, it's become one of my kids' favorite movies. The character Luisa, right, she sings this song, Surface Pressure, and it starts like this, I'm the strong one, I'm not nervous, I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is, I move mountains, I move churches, and I glow because I know what my worth is. Okay, we could have Carlton sing it later. Trust me, it'd be much better. But as the song goes on, she reveals that under the surface, she's feeling incredible pressure to do the impossible for her family. We feel that. We see this so often in our immigrant communities. So many of our people have been on the front lines as essential workers these past few years. And last year, this statistic made the news, so we can put that kind of screenshot of the headline. Filipino Americans account for 4% of nurses in the U.S., but 25% of COVID-19 deaths among nurses. See, these folks, they served when called upon, many to the point of death, and many, many more to the point of burnout or unhealth. And like them, many of us, educators, essential workers, caregivers, people loving young children or elderly parents and the vulnerable, so many of us are tired and have found ourselves maybe asking this question, as I'm caring for all these people, who cares for me? David must have asked himself that, and maybe we still are. 
And as David reflects on who God had been for him through his former years as a young shepherd, he finds comfort and he shares this with us that we have a shepherd. And it was David's maturity that pushed him through all his struggles over the years to position himself in Psalm 23, not as a shepherd, but as one of the sheep. Desperately needing to follow God's leading. And this is a good lesson for us, even especially for myself. The best leaders are also followers. Don't be such a leader that you can't follow anybody. The best shepherds know that they are first and foremost sheep. So then in mature connection to God, David is in touch here in verse 3 with creation, with the color and the feel of grass and the sound of quiet water, with the feelings of tiredness and frailty, with the recognition of his own need for restoration and with the experience of receiving healing at the shepherd's side. This is crazy, okay? It, it's, it's, it's wild that this is a novel concept, but imagine the church, a community of real people in need who have found comfort and healing. That is exactly who we are. And as David looked back, he found and he felt the shepherd's comfort and so also in the midst of change when the present and the future put all that weight on us. Let us make time and space for God to remember how it felt and how it feels to be comforted. Church, the Lord is our shepherd. The newcomer, let me tell you, for 19 years, the Lord has been your shepherd. He has been our comforter, and he calls us to receive from him again. Second, even in the valley, we find courage. I'm not sure there's another way to real courage. But in the valley, we can find it with our shepherd. Notice the shift here. Look at verses 4 to 6. And the imagery in verse 4 changes. In, in the previous verses, it's idyllic, it's serene, it's pastoral. We come to verse 4, it becomes dark and uncertain and fearful. It's like the psalmist is acknowledging that the Lord is our comforting shepherd, yes, even when seasons of life come that are uncomfortable or painful. Augustine translates verse 4 this way. Yea, though I walk in the midst of this life, which is the shadow of death. This life, which is the shadow of death. Notice also the shift, not just in tone, but from the third person talking about the Lord as he, in the previous verses, to here in verse 4 and 5, talking to the Lord, you. Oh, listen, this is instructive because darkness and fear and uncertainty are not just threats, but they are invitations, opportunities for us to move away from talking about God and to turn to God. I hope you're hearing me. See, some of us are so smart. Talking to myself, talking to myself. And as smart people, we love to talk about God. Hey. And we get stuck there. That part. Come on. 
Because in doing this, we get to hide behind our smarts, our titles, and our words. But as God's people, we turn to God. Because God is with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. I remember Graham Cole, one of my professors from seminary, said that the devil, the serpent, was the first theologian. Because, see, Adam and Eve were made to talk with God. But the serpent came up in the garden and started talking about God. In the places and times that are covered by death's long shadow, words and titles don't mean much anymore. In the darkness, we cry out. We pray. We look for God. And we find him. John Barry points out that in several places, the Psalms speak of God as shepherd to specifically describe God's care for Israel in the wilderness. So when we learn to find our shepherd's comfort in the shadowy and trying places, we can make this shift. We can turn to God and we can find courage saying to God like in verse 4, even here, Lord, you are with me. See, these shifts in tone and in person, these are intentional shifts and they take place because this is poetry. We forget that sometimes when we open the Psalms, but this is a prayer book and it is poetry. And the more we commune with the shepherd through the Psalms and in the valleys like this, the more our soul grows. And that is where courage comes from. Brene Brown reminds us this, the root of the word courage is core, Latin word for heart. Courage originally meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. In a recent interview, the 29-year-old poet laureate from Buffalo, New York, she helps us to understand how courage works. I'm going to read a long excerpt here because her words have their own power, but the interview starts by saying, the residents of Buffalo are experiencing immense pain and grief following the mass shooting at a supermarket in a historically black neighborhood. Jillian Hainsworth's advice to her community is to lean into that pain. And I'll show this set of words that she gives. All the pain that we're feeling is valid. The tears are valid. Anger is valid, she said. Yes, this happened. You're right. I know it hurts. It's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to not want to go to work today. It's okay for your kids to stay home from school today. They're afraid. The article goes on to talk about her. She's been asked to speak around town several times since that Saturday's racist attack and racked her brain to figure out what to say because nothing could make sense of a senseless act of violence. She takes issue with the social media hashtag Buffalo Strong because it could trick people into thinking that survival is the goal when they really deserve to exist and thrive without the fear of being hunted down in a grocery store instead of Buffalo Strong, Hainsworth proposes the hashtag Buffalo Honest to encourage people to talk about white supremacy, racism, and violence. In the meantime, she's comforted by the way her community is coming together to serve barbecue, 
to pray, and to grieve at the supermarket just a block from her office. Long quote, but worthwhile. I love how she describes her work. As a poet, she says, I see my role as a way to bridge the gap between what we know and what we need. In a sense, her role as a poet is pastoral. She's shepherding her people in her city into what they need by reckoning with where they are, how they feel, just like in this psalm. As I thought about her words, I asked myself this question. What would our churches look like if our pastors were drawn more to poetry than to prestige? If we were known more for honesty and proximity to suffering people than for performative solidarity and aspirations for power. This is where the church's strength is supposed to come from. From communion with God cultivated alongside others in the valleys of life. And as we learn this, that the shepherd has all he needs to protect us in the valley. We receive from him courage to walk together through death's darkness with honesty and collective strength. Our city is hurting. In so many ways and for so many reasons, Chicago is in pain. And our neighbors need us, church, to find the courage that the shepherd gives. And more than that, we need to learn from our neighbors, especially those who've learned to walk with God through pain and suffering. See, the same shepherd who gives them and us courage to face the darkness also gives us courage, verse 5 says, to face opposition. Put verse 5 on there if you can, please. Notice the courage to face opposition doesn't come from having power over opponents. It doesn't come from bravado or machismo or anything inside ourselves. Instead, courage comes from God who pours out anointing and blessing on us. Like a host honors a special guest, it's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's house. And we are invited to sit and feast. So our courage comes from God who loves and welcomes us. Psalm 28, 8 and 9 puts it this way. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Notice, we're not strong in ourselves. But we find courage in the valley because the Lord, our shepherd, puts us on his shoulders and carries us through the darkness. As one of our own poets has said, if God got us, then we're going to be all right. You didn't catch that? That's okay. Google it. Google it later. And if the Lord walks with us and carries us through unchosen changes and dark valleys, then surely, David says in verse 6, God's goodness and mercy will accompany us 
through every season until we are no longer just honored guests, but we are finally at home with our Creator. We got a ways to go, but take heart and have courage. The Lord has brought us to this point. So finally, we can follow Christ because He's good. Because he's good, we can follow Christ. He says these things. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Again, the word of the Lord. Church, there are many shepherds out there. But Jesus is the one who is truly good. He says so twice in these verses. In verse 11 and verse 14, you can just leave that up there so they can see it. And he tells us what this means. He's the good shepherd. He's not a hired hand. Quick story. You know, my first pastoral assignment back in my 20s was to serve as an interim pastor in the church my parents planted where I grew up. I'll never forget how out of nowhere, in my 20s as an interim pastor, an older white man who none of us knew started showing up to church, attending every service and Bible study, insisting that people call him Pastor Skip. Now, in a Filipino-American church, you got to understand the colonial dynamics of that. He showed up to every meeting, and he kept calling me young man, probably on purpose, though I was young, and I wish I was still young. But when it became clear to him after a few weeks that the church wasn't going to ask him to be their next pastor, he left as quickly as he came. See, I grew up there. Skip on, that's right. I grew up there. I knew everyone. We were family but he didn't know anyone there. And he didn't seem interested in knowing us. It was obvious what his goal was and was not. More than this, Jesus is not like the political or religious leaders of his day or even our day whose interests are so often selfish. Listen to these contrasts here as you look at these verses. Again, John, 11, uh, John, John 10, 11 to 18 here. They extract and seek gain from the sheep while Jesus gives himself fully. They care about profiting and popularity while the good shepherd knows us personally. They leave when leading gets difficult for them, but Jesus, but Jesus <laughs> lays down his life for us. He talks about laying down his life five times here. They kill for opportunity while his cross becomes our victory. 
Pastor Rich Velotis said something similar recently that really challenged me. There's a world of difference between being a pastor versus being a content creator who has the title of pastor. Pastoring entails proximity to people. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with sharing ideas or trying to encourage folks, okay? But there is a huge difference between platform chasing and shepherding. And there is an even greater difference between the good shepherd and any other shepherd, even on their best day. And this is important. Verse 16, the good shepherd comforts and encourages us so that others who have yet to come into the fold might hear and recognize his disarming and life-giving call. And he is the good shepherd because in love he uses his authority, verse 18, to lay down his life and then to take it up again. He uses his authority as shepherd to build a new community. Not for himself, but to honor the Father by loving us. Church, we've got a good shepherd in Jesus, and this good shepherd got us. Last week I had a really good gospel illustration, okay? I'm a preacher, I've been preaching for 20 years, so this is like sometimes how I think. But I was trying to get people from my church to join me on this run. You can see the graphic, the promo here, okay? Uh, for clean water in the Congo, several covenant churches around the whole world do this 6K every year. And I was asking people from my church to join. And I told them that I signed up and I got the shirt and the medal in the mail even before running. I mean, is that not a gospel illustration? You know? I didn't even perform. And I got the award. So I was telling the church, all we got to do is respond to getting the award and enjoy the day. But then the forecast changed and we had to plan for cold and rain. And I thought, oh, my illustration got ruined. See, this guy's face in the picture, I don't know him. Maybe he goes to this church, maybe not. But he looks so excited. <laughs> Go to the next slide and you can see the reality of the cold, the gloom, and the beginning rain. See, I didn't want to run anymore. I hate running. And I need the perfect conditions to do it. I need great weather, a nice view, good shoes with insoles, friends who join, ibuprofen for my knees, and music that drowns out the noises my knees keep making as they cry out for help. Pretty much, I can only run when I don't have to think about running. And I realize that the possibility of bad weather actually makes the illustration work better. Because sometimes life or circumstances lead us into the rain, into darkness and valleys and cold and difficulty. Sometimes the place we're being led to has stuff that we fear the most. The opposite of what we've been praying for. And we need a shepherd to lead us through that valley. 
Because there have been times and there will be times where we don't want to run, we don't want to walk, we don't even want to get out of bed. But in those places and times, church, in all our weariness and pain, Jesus, the good shepherd, is inviting us to receive his comfort and the courage that comes when we let him carry us through. There are no shortcuts around or Ubers through the valley. Instead, as we learn over and over again to find him alongside us in the valleys, we eventually come to marvel at how many valleys he got us through and how far he brought us already. And we see that he's never left us nor forsaken us. And by grace, we'll know and we will feel and we will testify that we would rather go where he leads us than insist on our own way without him. This is Easter tide, and we remind ourselves that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And if death could not hold him, surely he can walk us through the darkness. Through every season of change or stillness, wherever Jesus leads us, you got to know he meets us. Even through unchosen transitions, we have this good shepherd who keeps choosing us. And he is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is our comfort, the courage within us, and the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. And so, church, in this world we will have trouble. But take heart. He has overcome the world. Let's pray. Good and faithful shepherd, you have overcome and shared with us your victory again and again. Remind us that you are faithful and true, have always been and will forever be, that we might learn to trust and walk and say yes again. <laughs>